Hi everyone, Cece here. I hope you're enjoying your day so far. You're listening to my podcast where I take you on a journey each episode into the world of someone who's living the life of their dreams. My job is to unravel the mindset, the habits, and life experiences that got them there so you can achieve it too. My guests are some of the happiest and most fulfilled people in the world, and it's my goal through this podcast to turn their wisdom into practical takeaways to help you achieve the same fulfillment in your life. So be sure to subscribe to the CC1 show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and check out our past episodes featuring top artists, thinkers, trailblazers, and athletes. All right, let's get to today's show. Very early on, after my first appearance on MasterChef Canada, things started to get very surreal because I started to receive a lot of media attention and also attention from people asking for me to make cakes for them.、Um, and so it was really from there that I think my journey in、uh, the culinary world started. If you're a fan of the popular TV show MasterChef or are thinking about starting your own business, then you'll definitely enjoy today's episode. The audience favorite and the always smiling former pharmacist Christopher Sue is the newest winner of MasterChef Canada. After he came back on the show from being eliminated in season two, Chris first appeared on MasterChef back in 2015. It's his childhood dream to open up a bakery one day. So after season two ended, he immediately got to work and in five years succeeded in building a thriving dessert chain from scratch with no outside funding, help, or prior business knowledge. Dango Cake Lab's success earned him the Young Entrepreneur Award last year from the Association of Chinese Canadian Entrepreneurs. Chris, in this interview, candidly shared with me his firsthand experience of taking Dango from an idea to a thriving business with seven stores now and expanding. Today's episode is essentially a masterclass in entrepreneurship. The interview was recorded in early June when I had a cold, so please forgive my croaky voice and enjoy. Thank you so much, Cici. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on, and I'm very excited to share my story today.、Mm-hmm. So, when you look back on your life now, since you first appeared on MasterChef in 2015, does everything seem a little bit surreal? Absolutely. I mean, I think very early on, after my first appearance on MasterChef Canada, things started to get very surreal because I started to receive a lot of media attention and also attention from people asking for me to make cakes for them. Um, and so it was really from there that I think my journey in、uh, the culinary world started, and it did feel a little bit strange at first because all of a sudden I was I was not used to this level of tension, but also not used to get, it, but mostly I think not used to actually having a platform to express myself on. Growing up, I think having a platform, and you know, we we, we often aren't given that opportunity,、um, and it's something that you happen to you know you happen upon by chance or. You, you, you. Something happens. Something dramatic happens in your life where it's presented before you. So that was very different. So the level of success you have now with Dango and your personal brand—it's completely unexpected. Oh, absolutely, completely unexpected.、Um, We—I had to take things one step at a time. And so, you know, initially having that platform from Master Chef, I took that as an opportunity to try to grow my own platform as much as possible. Um, to get as much clients and to just try to have everybody experience what I wanted to do with desserts and cakes, and try to create a name and brand for myself to start with.、Mm-hmm. So you've had this dream of opening up your own dessert shop for a long time, but how were you gonna get there when you first had that idea? 
Yeah. So when I first started, I think it was very difficult. I really knew nothing about business. And so in the beginning, of course, demand was low. So I was still working part-time as a pharmacist or I was working full-time as a pharmacist, sorry, and baking at home on the side when I would finish my shifts. Over time, I, uh, after about, I think after about the first year and a little bit more year and maybe three, four months of working as a pharmacist, I actually switched from full-time to part-time in order to give more part-time hours to my baking. And then finally, after around the two-year mark, I got to the point where I realized the demand was exceeding what I could possibly supply, you know, if I had to keep working in pharmacy. And I think that was the that was the turning point when I decided to jump forward and create um, the Dango brand. I see. After you left MasterChef um, season two, that was when you started to really focus on maybe turning this idea of baking cakes for people into like a physical store. Yeah, so it was almost two years after our my initial appearance on MasterChef where I actually sort of decided to take that leap. Mm-hmm. And in terms of your dream of opening up a dessert shop, how long ago was that? Um, so I've actually always knew I, I would have a pastry shop. I ever since I was very young, probably you elementary it. school. Yeah, I, I you knew. You were confident. Yeah, I was confident. I knew I was going to do it. I would have a cake shop someday. It was my dream. Um, but I think when I was younger, the assumption would be that I would first have a professional degree, work in a specific field for maybe X number of years, and it would really be something I would pursue closer to retirement. Or, you know, or even as a second career after working my first career for 20, 30 years, something like that. It was never something that I thought I would break into so early on. I see. So MasterChef became that uh, launching point for you. It really was. And did you sign up for MasterChef thinking it could lead to something like this? Actually, that's exactly why I signed up for MasterChef was because I thought, oh, maybe I would get an opportunity, get this platform that could act as the catalyst for me to pursue what I wanted to earlier on in life. And of course, I had no idea. I had no expectations either. Um, but I figured there is nothing, you know, no harm can come from taking this step forward and, you know, taking a little bit of a risk and to just to see where it might lead me. Mm-hmm. What drew you to dessert making as a child? So I started baking because my dad used to make cheesecakes for me and my brother for our birthdays. And um, I just remember thinking, oh, what a magical process it was. Um, How you could take sort of ingredients on their own, which don't taste that great. Things like, you know, cream cheese, raw eggs, sugar, um, butter, all those things. And then combine it together. When you put it in the oven, something comes out that tastes a lot better. And I thought that, you know, to me as a young child, that was really quite a fascinating experience and something that I really loved. And so when I started baking, I made a lot of cookies because I love the concept of taking cookie dough and watching it grow and expand in the oven and and smell delicious. And that's really what drew me into it. Then later on in life, I, um, I of course, I took a lot of science courses, as you guys all know. Um, or, or if you don't, I, I was a pharmacist, so I took a lot of science courses and also science in undergrad and started understanding what the processes behind all the baking was. And so that drew me even more into it. So both my love of food, my curiosity as a child, and of course, the courses I took um, throughout my, you know, my high school and undergrad life, uh, all, I think, brought me and brought me closer to my dream of having my own pastry store. Mm-hmm. But what made you decide to turn that from just a hobby into a business. Yeah, so it was like what I, it's kind of like I mentioned before, 
there was the ISA was suddenly provi provided this platform and I started selling these cakes and all this time I had wanted more people to taste the things I created. Um, I always thought to myself that the current scene with the cakes available, they were very um, segmented. We had like a very traditional Western style cakes and then we had very traditional Chinese style cakes, but there were very little people doing fusion or even con styles in between. And we've seen a lot of sort of Asian fusion style food come up in the last couple of years. Um, and I think I wanted to be part of that wave as well because I really did see value in it. And so that's what I think pushed me into turning it just from a hobby into a business was because I felt that this idea had a lot more potential than it was just just as is. I see. So you want to introduce people to new styles of desserts. New styles of dessert, not just flavor, but even aesthetic um, and, and, and all the other texture flavor that comes with it. What gives you these ideas when it comes to creating these delicious pastries and cakes that Danko is so famous for? You know, the character macarons, all these creative ideas that you guys have, whether it's aesthetics or taste. Uh, a lot of the ideas that I get actually come from just things I'm, I'm inspired by on an everyday basis. So sometimes I might walk by just a toy store, for example, and I might see something that's very interesting to me. I think that I I wonder like, oh, this, this is a very cute concept. I wonder if I can turn it into something that's edible so that people can enjoy it in a different way. And so a lot of times it's sort of that curiosity of what if um, and is it possible that really draws me into wanting to create something new? I see. You know, a lot of people have ideas like you. Some mm -hmm. people might think it would be great to create a restaurant that does this or a business that sells this that um, the market currently doesn't offer to people. But how is it that you were able to take the steps and make it happen? I think that was just a very long learning process. I'm definitely going to say, not going to say that the initial concept when I started Dango is the same as what we have now. I think in the beginning, I created Dango to fill a very, to fill a very specific niche, which is sort of what I wanted to see on the market. Really, I was sort of fulfilling my own needs, but, you know, in the form of a business, because I thought that my needs were the same as, you know, everyone else's. Of course, you know, I'm much more mature now as uh, in business, and I've realized that that's not always the case. You're not always your own brand's customer, um, and it's it's important to realize that. And so now, we we still see where we sit as a niche in the market, which is to create these East Asian flavors, but really blending together both Western techniques and Asian techniques to create a bridge between the two cultures and create a dessert that's um, palatable or I guess delicious for both. And for you, that learning curve from baking cake for pleasure to suddenly this businessman, how was that transition for you? And how <laughs> steep was the learning curve? The, steep, the learning curve was inc incredibly steep. It was like, you know, trying to scale a cliff because there was essentially no guide, I guess. There was no guide to teach you how to do this. Everything you had to learn on your own. And so... Um, one thing I have discovered is that a lot of the things I learned came very naturally. So for example, I think when I first started business, I didn't even understand the concept of human resources. I didn't understand why does a company need HR? I'm like, everybody should just be happy and, you know, should just work for this business and, and, and be satisfied with their job and knowing that the business is growing. But obviously, you know, that's okay. Then that may be okay when you have a small team. 
But as your team grows and you're constantly encountering these problems where you're dealing with people's, um, you know, their growth in the business and also um, their goals and their futures, you start to realize that you with that need for HR to really create a team that not only values your employees and their growth in the company, but also is looking out to help your your business grow as well. And so you you start to realize that um, you know okay now we need to have proper paperwork to outline certain things. Um, you can't just it's not just it, it can't be a system of just trust anymore. It has to be much more much more. I guess in a way simplified, but also more complicated, but it has to be laid out somewhere in some sort of contract anyway. And so that is just one example. But of course, other examples include things like developing the product um, to meet a larger uh, demographics needs. Um, so trying to make that a little bit more accessible, like I was mentioning before. And then marketing was obviously another portion of it. How do you market your brand so that you can keep you know, increasing your customer base and also selling new products. And then, of course, then there's a financial portion of it, understanding how to do the finances. Because, of course, in the beginning, you don't really need to do bookkeeping. I mean, all the receipts, you just keep them on your own in your little wallet because I'm doing all the purchasing. And then, of course, as you, as you have more purchasing, you need to have more, for example, credit cards for people to make for vendors. Um, and that list grows, then of course you need to eventually get a bookkeeper, then finally have an accountant to do the tax at the end of the year. So all of these things, I think, progressed very naturally as we grew as a company. Um, but like I said, there was no guide, just a lot of falling down and getting back up. Yeah. So you learned through your mistakes, essentially. Mm-hmm, exactly. So when you first opened, was it just you? Yeah. So, uh, you know, at the, it was definitely just me. I had a team of six people, um, you know, and three of them are still with us today and they were extraordinary. So you were able to hire some employees at the very beginning. Yes. I was able to hire some employees in the beginning and some of them were also friends of current employees, but, um, my starting team was just extraordinary. They were so good. Um, so hardworking. They really believed in what I, what I was doing and where I was trying to grow. Um, and what I was trying to, you know, and, and, and the impact I was trying to make with, with our bakery compared to other bakeries. And, you know, they, they really did believe in me and give me a hundred percent, 110% very often. Um, and so I, I actually have to attribute a lot of our success to those, to those staff, our founding staff members. How did you gather this extraordinary team to help you? And, and I can't even say that I, I did anything special. I have to admit that it was really a matter of luck. Um, I, I would just put out ads for hiring. Some of them came from, um, references from friends and other people were, you know, friends of friends references. And we built this in, I built this initial team, um, not really expecting that much. Um, but they gave back a lot more than I, than I expected. And so at the same time, I also felt like it was my responsibility to help them develop and grow too within the company. And did they have any business background, some of them, who could help you with your business growth? Unfortunately, they didn't, but some of them came from other bakeries that they worked at. And so we were able to see what other bakeries were doing Mm. and have that insight to help us grow as well. So a lot of the learning was also talking to people in your company and sharing ideas. Absolutely. We would, I would definitely say we grew the company together. It wasn't as though I made all the decisions. I definitely would not have been able to make a lot of decisions without them. Mm-hmm. And one thing I am curious, because 
if somebody was interested in starting their own business, how do they come up with the funds to, you know, start that very first business? Did you fund it purely yourself or did you have business partners, investors? So for me, I funded it purely myself. And that was because I just um, took all my savings I had from pharmacy. And I was still living at home at the time. And so I had the, I guess, a little bit more financial freedom. But I think that there is nothing. In fact, I think a lot of times the correct decision made to even uh, to take a loan from a bank or to to leverage, you know, your resources to get something because, you know, the real the realistic point of the, all of this is that you can't really create a business or grow a business successfully without leveraging resources and and financials from a you know, from whatever institution you decide to go forward with. Um, because a lot of times the growth of a business doesn't really grow in a very linear fashion. It's quite exponential um, from one jump to the next. When, you know, when you go from one store to two store, you have a jump in revenue. Then when you go from then after that, you won't just open one store at a time. You might start opening stores more rapidly because now you have the framework and you understand how to open stores and hire managers and things like that. Then as your framework for these things grow, you're actually able to grow the company at a more, at a faster rate. And so the only way to keep up with that often is that you need capital and funding from an outside lender. It's very rare, I think, for a business to generate all of its revenue internally and keep growing at that rate, at that pace. Mm -hmm. So I guess with your expansions, you did have some investors. Oh, actually, so we actually didn't up until this point. No, up until this year. You're supposed to be doing really um, well. (laughs) <laughs> I think we're just taking things one step at a time. And really, the reality is that um, these past four years, we put everything that the business earned back into the business. That's how we did it. We just didn't ha- have to take out, you know, we didn't have to take out very much money out of the business other than to play, pay staff and a small payroll for myself. But other than that, we tried to put as much back into the business as possible. Now we're doing a Vancouver expansion at the end of this year, and it's sort of the first time we've taken a loan to help with this expansion. Um, so we are starting to see that. And I think going forward, we will have to, because like I said, the rate of growth is kind of always outpaces um, the capital, the revenue you will generate. Exactly. I see. So you did want to keep it within your own control for the initial portion of it, at least. Yes, yes. And I think it served us well in the long term. It doesn't make you necessarily not necessarily frugal with your money, but it does help you make better decisions. I think you're a little bit more conscientious about the equipment you purchase, the people you hire, things like that. Yeah. And another thing that I was curious about is most people choose to not hire people in the beginning when they first launch a business. Hmm. Why did you make the decision to hire six staff, you said in total, right? That's right. I think right off the bat, I was quite ambitious more ambitious than I think I necessarily needed to be. I had this idea, I wanted seven flavors of cake and I had 18 flavors of macaron and I just realized it wasn't feasible with two people or three people. I had to have a team to help me bake everything unless, you know, I was working, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but it just wasn't possible. So I think it was quite intuitive that I knew I needed a team of people in the beginning. Of course, there are bakeries, smaller bakeries that you know start with a very small product line, maybe just like eight products or something, and then they slowly add products on over time. But I think I was a little bit more ambitious because I was just influenced by all these much more well-established bakeries all around me that I could see that they had all these great successful products and, and branding, and I just wanted to try to attain that level as soon as I could. Mm-hmm. And how big was your customer base off the top? 
So off the top, um, I think we had a really great following. We, you know, looking back, actually starting from home, slowly creating products, actually built a lot of anticipation and really worked in our favor for, in terms of in, for marketing ourselves. And when we first launched, we had a huge lineup. Everything we created was sell out within the weekend. Amazing. Um, yeah. But we couldn't keep up with production because having only six people in such a small kitchen space, we could only produce enough product. And so at first, um, the first month actually of Dango, we only opened Saturdays and Sundays. Um, yeah. And then after the next month, we started adding Monday on and then Tuesday. And I think by the end of, um, by the end of January, we were able to open successfully six days a week and then eventually seven days a week. So the demand was clearly there. Like from the, the very beginning, was definitely. Yeah. What's what's yes, the, the secret, Chris? Yeah. <laughs> why why were why <laughs> were you so popular in Dango? I I think the secret actually it came it came down to absolutely it was a it was a stroke of luck because it utilized anticipation as a strong marketing technique. I created a lot of anticipation by baking from home. A lot of people were hearing about me, knowing that I came from Master Chef and wanting um, to actually try my product, and so. You know, very, you know, very early on, I think uh, maybe like the February 2017 or March 2017, I had already announced that I would be opening um, a dessert store in the summer of 2017. And then, of course, from summer, it got delayed to fall. And then from fall, it got delayed to, delayed to late fall, November. And so I think all this time, people were actually following my journey and watching it and still anticipating and looking forward to the day that we were opening. Mm -hmm. And so that really did play out strongly in our favor. Um, and that, and that really, that was quite mm -hmm. luck. That was really luck because I didn't know anything about marketing techniques and, um, and how to grow this, you know, build this customer base and leverage my platform properly. It just happened that it, it worked out. Mm -hmm. So you have a significant social following online and that was mostly from MasterChef. Is that how it started? I think it started from MasterChef. And then during the two years that I was baking from home, I kept posting up things I was doing and slowly growing a, uh, sorry, a social media base online. It definitely wasn't completely from MasterChef. A lot of it was, I, I think I had jumped upon this new trend of people posting up things they were baking at home and food they were making at home. And, and I think back in the early, you know, 2015, Instagram was still fairly new. Um, it, I wasn't an, you know, I wasn't this, you know, first you know, very, very early starter on the, on the Instagram, but I think still food was kind of just starting the whole idea and concept of influencers for food and home bakers and things. It was still kind of a novel concept. And so I, that was also a stroke of luck. It wasn't as though I had planned it. It just so happened that it was part of my interest and in what I wanted to do and aligned with my goals. I see. I see. Okay, now I want to get into the actual experience of running your business, like from the first days. So when you first opened, what were your primary goals and main tasks? So the first couple of goals, of course, was get all of the equipment in there, get all your recipes done, train up all your staff, make sure that you have a proper base running. Mm -hmm. um, and even that took months because when we first opened, half of our equipment hadn't arrived yet at our store. Our renovations weren't even finished when we opened because I, I had set a date for opening already and our contractor couldn't finish in time. And also that was a mistake because I, I just, at the time, I just didn't work with a good contractor. And of course, I do, you don't realize that until much later on. You just assume that everybody is able to, to do what they say. And that's not true. And so 
you know, first thing first, I remember the first couple of weeks just making sure all the renovations got finished, all the equipment was finished, and then of course baking with everybody and sort of slowly training training staff. Then after I finished sort of slowly training staff and figuring out all the recipes, then it was just constantly improving. Okay, how can we market better? How can I train a team that is self-sufficient and doesn't require me to be there all the time? How can I make the store look better? So that it ha- you know, so when people are, come to our store, they'll feel like they're more welcomed and want to purchase more. Um, you know, all these little things are ringing in my head where I will constantly compare myself to other bakeries and see where are my shortcomings, where am I still falling behind, and it was really just like one step at a time we fixed each of those problems until eventually. I mean, actually, I won't even say eventually. I think we're still having lots of issues that we could possibly fix and improve on right now. And I think that really is a journey. I think our mindset has changed, though. Um, it shifted from trying to catch up to people to trying to be slightly better than the than the current market standard. Do you go out there to other bakeries and dessert shops and check on what's what's going on in their shop and take notes? All the time, all the time. It's one of my favorite things to do. Actually, <laughs> do you just hide yourself in a cab or something? <laughs> no, no, people no, no. I just go and. Right? I think so. A lot of times they don't say anything. I think people are, are, are shy to say something or just don't want to. But yeah, I love just sitting there, looking at their processes, understanding, because I'm always curious and interested in learning new ways to improve ourselves. I think one thing, actually, one really great thing about not having a baking background and not having a marketing background or business background taught me, um, you know, a high degree of humility to understand how fragile I was and how clueless I sort of was with all of these processes, but to also to keep me learning and being humble and hungry to always improve myself. And so actually, it, it, it maybe I keep saying that not having a background was a big detriment, but maybe ultimately it works out in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the beginning, when you were running your business, you were talking about how there were a million things to do and so many things to fix. What got you through the really tough days when nothing was going right? Oh, I, I, hmm, I'm trying to think. Of course, I think the biggest, biggest help was family. Mm. So, just knowing the fact that you you have family that you can always count on who will support you at the end of the day if you really need it. Um, that you just always have something to fall back on. Or if that if everything failed, I could always go back to pharmacy. I think having that backup plan actually really helps because it gives you the confidence to take another step forward. You never feel like the world has truly crumbled around you because you do have that backup. Yeah. I think it's very important, which is why I still tell a lot of students or uh, young entrepreneurs or whatever who, who are looking for something to do and still trying to discover themselves that. You, it is very important to have a backup, no matter what that backup is, but just to have one that you feel confident in. Yeah. And what did you learn about yourself from the experience of starting your own business? For myself, I think I learned a few things. I definitely realized how stubborn I was. Okay. <laughs> and I think being resilient and stubborn is actually very important in business. Probably one of the most important things because you still have to carry through and move forward, even though you might be having a terrible day and everything might be going wrong. Because at the end of the day, you're the only one who can fix those things. Um, other things I learned about myself, you know, I, uh, I I think I was able to clearly identify a lot of the things that my parents told me when I was growing up. Oh, you know, like I'm not organized, but 
okay. you know, I understood why though. I was able to understand and perceive more clearly why I had these specific character traits. So me being very disorganized has sort of shown me that it's not actually that I'm disorganized. It's just that I have a tendency to jump from one task to another and sort of bundle them all together in an, in a means to increase efficiency and try to complete them all at once. But as a result, the, the what you people see is it looks like I have six, seven tasks that are all partially finished. But actually, it's, it comes from my need to have this feeling of satisfaction from the efficiency and com completing large amount of tasks at once. And that's actually how, not that I was raised that way, but just a, a personality of mine, which I, I, which I always come to realize is not necessarily a strength or a flaw. What's very important is to recognize these things about yourself and understanding how they can play to your advantage um, in your business. So a lot of times I do have very long task lists, but every week I'll always make sure that I clear all of these things um, in a timely manner on a specific day. So that's very important to me, setting deadlines for myself. Um, it's very effective for myself. But of course, there are other things too that I, I, I would think I would consider maybe as flaws for my, my, you know, my parents would consider as flaws in me. But I don't really think so. I think everybody has a specific personality. And I, and I will say that I've met many entrepreneurs and everybody runs their own business in a very different manner. Was there ever a point where you went like, this is so hard. I can't believe I, I'm doing this and I really need help or a break. Oh, absolutely. I think there are many times I felt like that, um, especially very, so, very often in the beginning. Um, but I don't think that should be a deterrent or make people feel worried about it because it's, it's quite normal to, you know, when you're faced with a high stress situation, but people, we, we all adapt and learn how to deal with these situations and improve ourselves. Um, I know for certain, for myself, I, you know, at first I was so overwhelmed by every time equipment would break down, I didn't know who to contact, um, to fix this equipment or how I could troubleshoot it myself. But over time, after creating, compiling a list of, you know, mechanics and contractors who could help us out, you know, in, in our times of need, um, things got better. And it, it is scary because in the beginning you have so little resources and you have to create all these resources in the beginning. But um, I always tell myself things can only go up from here. So it's not such a, it's not something to really worry about. I see. What were the biggest pressures for you in the beginning? For me, the biggest pressure, of course, was to create the best quality product and try to figure out why it, you know, if, if it wasn't, why and how we could improve it. And a lot of times it came back down to the fact that we had the wrong equipment or we just didn't have the know-how to improve recipes. And it took a lot of time and research to realize these things and improve on them. But I think that's very normal for businesses to constantly be in a state of improvement. I mean, I can confidently say, I mean, some people may disagree with me, but I will confidently say that our cakes now um, are on a completely different level of quality um, compared to when we first started. So what changed? Um, everything from our processes, our equipment, um, our recipe development, everything has improved by so many stages and so such a such a level compared to when we first started. So now you're in this new stage of your business, seven stores running, you as the head of this entire brand, how has your work changed? 
Um, my work has significantly evolved. I think I still consider myself very much on the product development portion, um, but I've been re able to realize where I fall short. I think early on, I was sort of in charge of doing everything in terms of operations, marketing, financing, all those things. Then slowly realizing you have to delegate these tasks out and then realizing after that, that just delegating is not good enough. You'll have to seek professional help um, for these individual things. So we had to find somebody to help us with our marketing we had to hire uh, operations managers to help us with our operations. We had to get um, a bookkeeper and a finance and an accountant to help us do our finances and, and so on and so forth. And really, my own role is still very much involved with product development. And occasionally, I'll step out to create new um, sort of new campaigns. Mm -hmm. So I want to get into how exactly you juggle your time with all these different stores and also your family life too, right? Do you have much of a social life and family life? Uh, I think I, I always try to prioritize some. I always prioritize the business, but the family time and the social time is also equally important to me. That I find is totally up to your control, right? You can delegate more tasks if you want, and you have to accept that those are going to be sacrifices, whether in terms of quality um, or control. And then over time, that's a conscientious decision you have to make that sort of plays best with your own personality. Uh, some people are more comfortable working, you know, 60 hour work week, 70 hour work week. Some people very much enjoy that. And that is the most efficient way for them to use their time. For other people, it may not be the same. They may value and also find that it's more efficient for them to actually just work a 40 hour work week or 30, 30 to 40 hour work week and actually spend the rest of the time either still working, maybe still working on business things, but not being directly engaged with the business. So for you, how many hours of work do you work per week? Uh, I say I'm pretty typical. I probably get around 40 hours a week, maybe 30 to 40 hours because I do work. Um, I usually won't work a full eight hour workday. I'll work about maybe five hours or so. But the difference is that when I do those five hours, it's very much just continuous work from start to finish. There's no, you know, I don't, I, I might take a small coffee break or something, but the productivity is very high because I have a task list that mm. I want to finish as fast as I can. And so when I get from start to finish, that's sort of like the end of my day. The only difference is I might do this six or seven days a week. So mm. um, I end up between 30 to 40 hours at the end of the day uh, per week. So you have reached a point where your life is a lot more balanced now compared to the initial stage of your business. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a lot more it's a lot more balanced and it's important for myself. I've come to realize that that's the style yeah. because I like that high efficiency style where I just focus very heavily on all the tasks I need to complete for the day and then I have the rest of that day off and I just do that. But I don't mind doing that 6 or 7 days a week. Yeah, and how long did it take you to reach this point? Um, it probably wasn't until three years into the business, I think three, two and a half to three years into the business that I really reached this point. I realized that the operations were kind of just far too much. Um, it was consuming too much of mine and my other operations manager's time. We had to bring in more managers and we created a new structure in the company where we essentially introduced a kitchen manager, introduced front store manager, introduced a regional manager and a secondary operations manager. And all these people together was able to help us sort of uh, not only were able to delegate more tasks to them, but also improve the company overall. I see. So what does it feel like now that you've created this sort of business empire, um, you know, from your initial dreams of just starting like a simple bakery? I think at one point I kept thinking um, there was a, there was this like feeling of success and like, oh, I did a really mm -hmm. good job. But actually, the more and more I do it, the more I realize there's so much more to improve on. There's so much more I could do. 
And honestly, the less successful I feel every day. I almost every day I feel like I need to create something bigger, something better, something new. I feel like I'm constantly falling behind. Um, and I don't know if that's actually my own personality that causes that pushes me in this way. Um, and I'm not sure if other uh, entrepreneurs have this mindset as well, but that's personally how I feel. I would not say that this is something in a blanket statement for everyone, though. Yeah, I feel like most entrepreneurs do have this hunger to constantly improve. I, I would agree. I very much agree. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do you like your life now compared to before you opened Danko? Oh, I'm very happy with it. I'm very happy with, um, you know, having my own business to me running business. And I don't think it's for everybody, but having that ability to actually control the things that are happening and seeing that the actual result of the my decisions I make is very satisfying. It's very different from before when I work in pharmacy where, you know, you can do a lot of things, but you don't necessarily see the end result um, because you're sort of just a piece of moving cog in the whole system. That part I'm really happy about, but it's really not for everybody. I don't think everybody enjoys that. And I have talked to many people, which I, I would not recommend entrepreneurship as a, as a path for them. Okay. One last question. What is your vision, I guess, going forward for Dango? You said you want to make a lot of improvements, but what kind of things do you hope to improve in the next few years that we can actually yeah, see the result? Yeah, so of course, Dango is always going to be improving its products, creating new products in it. But I think that in the next few years to come, we're actually going to switch our business strategy a little bit and actually start trying to create new brands under the Dango umbrella, um, as opposed to constantly just focusing on Dango Cake Lab. Because what I realized, Dango Cake Lab has its niche and it has its market. But in my last few years of experience, I've also I've always found that introducing new product lines and trying to sell new product lines in Dango never do quite as well as if I launched them as their own independent brand. So for example, we launched Dango ice cream and Dango cookies and things like that in the last year or so. And we found that although the sales are, are doing well, I feel that had it been launched as its own independent brand, we would have had a lot more flexibility because then we could have, instead of just trying to add it onto our current existing team, we could have created a new team for it. It would have been more efficient to develop it and probably would have been able to reach more people too. Whereas right now we're sort of creating ice cream that limits us to our current demographic. Because like I said, you do the market research, you know what your demographic is. For example, you have a lot of Asians as your demographic between this age. So you think to yourself, okay, well, this sort of demographic likes things that are not too sweet, a little bit more interesting flavor because they can appreciate that complexity. So now I have to create my product line to match this. Had I launched this as its own independent brand, I wouldn't have been limited by those restrictions. When you have all these new ideas for improvements, do you get impatient to act on them immediately? Oh, all the time. I think it goes back to my personality. I would absolutely not pace myself. Sometimes I have six, seven projects going on at the same time. I mean, even right now we do, right? We have the Vancouver store launching. We're trying to create a dry line. So we're trying to launch uh, shortbread cookies and chocolates as our, our, our dry, dry line. Um, and then we also are launching the Father's Day cake and Father's Day pastry. We're working on a new summer pastry as well. So there's a little bit of everything, right? I have some projects in business development side of things. Um, we have a new marketing project coming up. So I'm a little bit involved in everything, but I think a little bit more focused on the product development. But when you're off work and you have this running long list of things that you still have to do, does it bother you that you're relaxing and not doing those things? It does. It does bother me, but I just have to learn to <laughs> shut off because 
I've realized also with myself when I sort of pass that five hour point or whatever, I just um, become more and more inefficient. And it's something actually I realized very early on, even when in my university years in terms of studying, I can't really study more than five hours in a day because it just at that point, it just gets exponential. Every hour after that gets exponentially worse. <laughs> I see. All right. Thank you so much, Chris, for sharing your experience with us. Thank you, ZZ. Christopher Sue is the newest winner of MasterChef Canada and the owner of Dango Cake Lab, an Asian fusion dessert chain in Canada, which will soon be in the U.S. as well. You can check out Dango and their dessert products at dango.com. That's D-A-A-N-G-O.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. And head over to cc-wang.com, that's S-I-S-S-I-W-A-N-G.com, for more interviews like this one, plus read about the guests you just heard and see pictures from the interviews. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. Until next time.